Hey everybody, it's Drew from Sleep With Me, and I'm believe it or not, I'm live here uh, from Golden Gate Park, recorded live, uh, and I've got a little announcement. We're teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you two exclusive episodes. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlist clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. Each playlist has its own topic or theme. You could try out the Music Decoded playlist with clips all about unpacking and analyzing music, uh, or Slice of Life, which is all about the crazy or incredible things that happen to everyday people. Also, Spoke has fun, exclusive content from Farrell. And that's why I'm here live at Golden Gate Park. I just concluded uh, recording one of these episodes that's only going to be available exclusively on Spoke. I'm lying here in the grass. Uh, you definitely do not want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Sleep With Me's exclusive Spoke episodes. You can find them all at Spoke.com slash sleep with me that's spoke.com slash sleep with me check it out uh and i'll see you in golden gate park at stowe lake bye guys i want to tell you about a great sponsor i have bompus they're premium high performance athletic socks and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off and because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters for every pair of socks purchased bompus donates one pair of those to those in need almost one million pairs donated to date 15 percent off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. If you like the music there, let me just throw out that real quick. That's a band, Les Blanks. My friend Josh Caldwell does that. Go to lesblanks.com. Check out more of their music. If you haven't listened to my show before, it's just what that title there implies. It's a conversation with me. I sit down with somebody uh, who's led a bigger, more splendid life than I have, and we talk about that life and how it relates to life today. And speaking of which, um, and I want to say to my today's guest, I'm really excited to have uh, it's a civil rights lawyer, Dennis Cunningham, who's done some amazing work, sued the Chicago Police Department for the uh, murder of Black Panther Fred Hampton, uh, was on the def team to uh, with the prisoners in Attica to torture, it, like crazy, incredible, stood Judy Berry, uh, who was an environmentalist, a nonviolent environmentalist, who's, uh, but her car got bombed, and the, they tried to make it look like it was the FBI that, or not the FBI, that like she was on her way to bomb somebody, and the FBI helped uh, blur some of the fact. It's craziness, and Mr. Uh, Cunningham has been one of the, has been one of those guys defending the the good people of the world, and it's it's really he's an amazing, and it's I, you know what I want I want to say too is like I started my second year of uh, doing this podcast, and I really wanted to. Uh, get away from some of these the fringe thinkers and political activists, and you know I was getting it was just getting really heavy and whatnot. But uh, I I can't help myself. I love I love people like Mr. Cunningham. Uh, I in a couple um, weeks I'm interviewing Mark Rudd, who is one of the founding members of the Weather Underground. Uh, I just I find like and it's great because like I, Mr. Cunningham and like these guys who lived through so much stuff like the 60s and turmoil and the, who were in it like in that and then can look give us a perspective on what we're going through today and perhaps you know what we could do better it's just it's i feel really lucky to get to talk to gentlemen like this these great minds and great you know men and, and women who have really uh May, may change and, and can say, hey, uh, guys, guys, you got to do this or we got to do more of that or whatever. Anyway, why listen to me talk about it anymore? Uh, let's listen to my conversation with the great 
lawyer and uh, just a great guy who I'd loved this conversation. Dennis Conrad. It seems to me that uh, maybe I, I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like the FBI and its tactics have changed much in the last 40 years. There seems to be a lot of, uh, like they're going after environmental groups still. Uh, they're, I don't know if you're aware of the grand jury resistors that have been going on in some parts of the country. It just, I guess in short, it seems like the FBI is more an oppressive force than a force to protect the people. Would you agree with that? Well, generally speaking, I think that's true. Yeah, I mean, and that that was the basis on which they were formed originally was pretty much, you know, uh, uh, out of the Palmer raids and all that anti-red stuff, uh, and and they did other stuff and they do other stuff, and some of it's perfectly normal and worthy and even righteous, I suppose, sometimes, but they have this other function of uh, as a political police force, yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't, yeah, I don't understand, like, when they target certain movements, like, like they did with Judy Berry, and I don't understand what, what there is to gain by that. Is it just to keep us, up, like, in line? Mm, well, you know, I mean, the the, uh, the in fairness, the original <coughs> um, involvement that of, of the FBI, uh, I think, around the environment stuff. I mean, it, it's on on different levels. You know, they were watching the Earth Day uh, because they have that general mission to monitor at, at, at least any kind of protest or any kind of uh, people that uh, any kind of groups, people, movement, whatever that uh, um, criticizes the status quo that comes on their radar sooner or later. So there was that element, but they were also <coughs> Later on, trying to solve crimes, you know the 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 um, the well, I forgot what they were called. Now I'm block. I might block on a lot of stuff now. You got to watch me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, but there were there were the actions by environment pro environment uh, groups or cells or <clears throat> operatives. Uh, um, that were uh, property destruction and vandalism, and particularly that uh, you know when they they uh, burned down that ski lodge in Colorado. I, I can't imagine what year that was, but it was in the eighties. Uh, um, that that activated uh, quote unquote legitimate law enforcement operation to try and solve that crime. And it led them on to other stuff. And there were certainly people doing things, illegal things, uh, 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 sabotage-type things, um, that that uh, gave them a basis to be uh, concerned with, uh, um, you know, at least that level of environmentalism. And, and But then they get carried away, and uh, that group in Tucson that was a forerunner to the the stuff here that ultimately involved Judy and them was uh, um, they were doing stuff, but they were then they infiltrated that group, and then they started. They had a guy who was who more or less became a leader of that group, and he you know the last time around he picked the target, he got the the thermite to knock down some uh, electricity towers, I think, and and uh, he was driving the truck to go to the action, and um, you know he he had wormed his way all the way inside. He was a sworn agent, and um, uh, you know 
So he was making sure that something would happen that they could concern themselves with. Yeah, it seems like in some cases, and there's even been some very recently where it seems like these agents are very, they're manipulating, especially sometimes very young people who yes. may not otherwise, I mean, if, you know, when you're young, it's easily to push people into <laughs> situations. It yeah. seems very uh, uh, irresponsible of an agency like, and it's just, it's just like, I don't know, it's like, is it, what is their, the message? Well, and you're right. I mean, it's ridiculous that they should be out there fomenting crime that they can then solve or bust people for and uh, and get headlines. But, you know, that's what they do. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the case in Chicago, that case in Ohio about the, the guys that were going to supposedly uh, uh, blow up a bridge. Um, the the case um, with that woman, I forget her name, that was that went on for months and months. She's leading these guys along to finally entrap them in something. And there's a guy, I think his name is McDavid, doing years and years in prison based on something that was totally generated by an agent. And there's many more. A lot of the terrorism cases are like that. You know, they they bust a person who thinks he's putting a bomb someplace, uh, and the bomb was supplied by the agent, and it's not a real bomb, and blah blah. And now they got another one and another headline, and headlines are what they love. Yeah, it's. I mean, and even in, it's like strange though. Like somebody like Judy Berry, who you defended. I mean, she was a a vocally nonviolent environmentalist and it seemed as though even like loggers uh people on the other side respected her greatly but yet yeah. wasn't she still like labeled as a terrorist to some degree or is oh absolutely i mean that was the point of the operation uh, and that and there's there there's peculiarity i think to the to judy's case um compared with these other ones which are basically just you know the uh, designed to provide a triumph by the cops you know by the FBI whatever um but there they were helping out uh, uh you know the private sector um because the whole case of the whole operation was about uh, um, you know exactly about branding her as a terrorist and branding Earth first as terrorists in order to discredit the campaign for the uh, Forest Forever initiative in California in in that year 1990 which would have really totally changed the uh the rules governing logging operations in the state and and com- drastically tied the hands of the timber industry and that initiative on the ballot was at the time of the bombing was way ahead and seemed certain to pass and then afterwards, uh, a very high-powered publicity campaign was run, you know, saying, you don't want to vote for the uh, terrorist initiative. You don't want to b- vote for the bombers initiative. You don't want to vote for the Earth First initiative. And it lost by a, a point and a half or something like that. And uh, and so they were saved. The, the timber companies were saved from these... Uh, restrictions, which would have more or less put them out of business, the big ones. Um, yeah. So and that was that was something that they went out of their way to do in aid of those private interests. I mean, they had their own fish to fry as well, I think. But they and and uh, but they, you know, the way that stuff was done and engineered was definitely uh, to try and help out their friends in the private sector. And she wasn't labeled a terrorist, was she, before someone car bombed her car? 
No, absolutely not. And, no, and she so, was well known, as you said, as a as a person, an exponent of nonviolence, and she had actually kind of divided the movement uh, by coming out and against tree spiking and renouncing it and renouncing what they call monkey wrenching, you know, and saying that the whole uh, campaign of Redwood Summer would would uh, not involve any kind of uh, violence or vandalism, and uh, that they the most they would do would be civil disobedience, and that was you know uh, they had proclaimed it months in advance, and they had all the people who signed up to help that you know they had uh, a pledge to uh, to stick to that principle. So she was just the opposite. Yeah, it's it, did they they never found out who was responsible for putting placing the bomb under her car, did they? No, there's still some effort going on, but uh, it's you know attenuated at best, and and they're not uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, clues or leads, you know, and there, there never really were. And it's. Uh, I mean, technically, that would be a, a crime that the FBI would investigate. And if if I remember correctly from the documentary that your daughter made, Forest for the Trees, the FBI helped distort a lot of that evidence, did they not? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it would or would not have been uh, the FBI jurisdiction I mean, normally uh, a bomb, uh, the jurisdiction is either local or, uh, you know, a bomb in a car like that, or it would go to, if it were, if there were a federal interest, it would be uh, uh, through the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Division. And um, the FBI would only have jurisdiction, you know, if there had been some kind of overt uh, message uh that it was that there was a, a political purpose to the bombing you know like somebody put out a thing say we took care of that you know uh tree hugger <laughs> did, did now is it crazy to assume that the FBI would go as far to do something like that or is it like I don't want to I'm not a contra uh, uh conspiracy you know that's hard to say I, I I think it's it's uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know that the FBI itself and through a chain of command you know would would uh, do the bombing I think is a little actually make a bomb and put it someplace where it might kill somebody which it definitely almost did uh, certainly hurt her. Um, you know, that may be a bridge too far to accuse them of. I mean, there's a lot of unknown stuff that's happened, so we can't say anything for sure. They certainly solicited and tried to uh, organize and promote the murder of Fred Hampton in Chicago in 1969, a Black Panther guy. Um, and they were they were completely... Uh, 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 guilty as as uh, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think the word here. The, uh, you know, they didn't do the shooting; they instigated the shooting. So they were they were linked to the crime. Did, um, didn't they have? They, mm-hmm. Oh, I said, didn't they have an agent inside who was like? Uh, I guess agent provocateur in the Panthers. Yes, yes, there was William O'Neill, and he uh, is pretty clear. It was pretty clear had drugged Fred the night before, so he was, uh, you know, they, they when the when the cops first broke in, uh, uh, other guys tried to wake him and they couldn't, you know, and then he was shot, and then he was. Cops went in the room and gave him the coup de grace right through his head. Uh, but but the FBI, like I say, that's what I mean. They were and he, that same guy, had had given uh, the his control agent in the FBI a floor plan of the apartment, and it showed where Fred's bed was, 
And uh, when the cops broke in, and one guy ran right to the corner of the doorway and shot through the wall right at the bed, you know. So they were totally complicit in that. And, and you know, were it not for the perversion of law enforcement that occurred in the aftermath, they would have been on trial <clears throat> with the killers. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's no shocker, especially in that era, that the Chicago police force was, uh, <laughs> well, first of all, Mayor Daley and then the Chicago police force were highly corrupt. I, I'm a Chicago, Chicago native, by the way, so uh-huh. I'm okay. very, very familiar with their uh, history. Um, did, has any of those police officers from the Fred Hampton, have they, did they ever speak out like years later or did they just, not that I know of, no, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure not. Nobody ever said anything and several of them have gone to the grave without uh, saying anything. I can't tell you which ones. There's a, there's a very disturbing photo that is shown in, in your daughter's documentary of, uh, I believe it's like four or five. Chicago police officers holding, uh, carrying the body out of the house. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's two or three of them smiling, and they all look very very pleased with themselves. And it's very, yeah. especially with the, I mean, the levels of how disturbing that is, especially with Chicago's great racist past <laughs> of the police. Well, that's true. I mean, those were not the shooters or the raiders. They were, you know, mob-up guys that came much later or sometime later um, and and in uniform, you know, um, uh, the Raiders were all in plain clothes and they left immediately after the shooting. Um, I mean, they. I, I think some uniform guys got there and took the survivors into custody and the, 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 the Raiders got out of there. Um, but yeah, that that picture is is uh, totally emblematic of what the police attitude towards the Panthers was, certainly in Chicago and mostly all over the country. Um, and not that they weren't goaded a lot, they were, but uh, you know they're the police. They're supposed to be objective. They're supposed to be cool. Ha ha. In <laughs> Chicago, you know. Uh, it, 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 that 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 picture um, says a lot. It does. And now you uh, um, and I've interviewed um, some Black Panthers, and I also uh, John Sinclair and Wayne Kramer, who dealt with were like friends with a lot of those guys, uh, specifically um, Bobby Seale and and whatnot. And w- I think people over. I don't know. Would you say people have a you having been there with a lot of the Black Panthers? People have a grave misconception of what they actually were about because I think uh, as a kid it was portrayed to me as they were these. It was a race racist organization and that they were thugs, and when in fact they actually did a lot of good for their community and their neighborhoods with their soup kitchens and they had uh, tutoring and they, they did a great deal. Do you feel like that is they were misrepresented? Well, some people do misrepresent them. I mean, there's been an awful lot said and written about them in the, you know, many years since their heyday. Um, um, and and they were definitely a mixed bag. They, it, there was a lot of uh, shady stuff that went on under the... Um, uh, you know, banner of the Panther Party, but there was certainly a lot of good done, a lot of good attempted, you know, like you say, the breakfast program, a health clinic in Chicago, uh, tutoring programs, whatnot, knows that there were a lot of those in other parts of the country. And, I mean, I think more to the point, there was an attempt that they made to to organize and also to inspire, you know, the 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 black community in in the African Americans in general to uh, a higher level of resistance to the racism in the society and and a higher level of pushing and activism for change you know um, and they had a pathway that they marked out for themselves that that was. Uh, you know, in, in certainly in name, a lot of uh, substance, Marxist-Leninist 
and Maoist and whatever, you know, there was a lot of ideology and and pseudo ideology as well. Uh, uh, but a lot of us was really serious and deep, and and um, <clears throat> of course it gets misrepresented by people who were hostile to all of the things that it was about, that, that all of the effort that, that was being made uh, that was of a political character. Um, but uh, there's a lot of, of uh, truth been told, certainly, also about them, and there's a lot of, of uh, inspiration, I think, is still drawn from their example. Yeah, I, th- I think people often forget, and uh, and this also this was a message Martin Luther King was it, it was it became very much about uh, class and economics as well, and I mean a lot of people theorize that that's one of the uh, reasons, bigger reasons Martin Luther King was assassinated is because he started trying to rally uh, poverty-stricken people of of all races, <laughs> and that's a a real threat to. Uh, as as you've mentioned earlier, the status quo. Well, I think you're right. I think you know Fred Hampton would say it's a class struggle. God damn it, you know, and that was his. He he uh, was often engaged in in the effort to orient. Uh, the movements towards uh, the class aspect of the circumstances of oppression of African Americans and and um, the you know it's, it's certainly uh, Dr. King was killed because he was a threat uh, along those lines. Sir, I think it was a little bit more overtly or immediately was because he had come out against the war. And but he was at the time he was murdered, uh, he was organizing uh, along economic lines about economic issues. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's just amazing that well, it's not. I mean, it, maybe it's a slightly cliche observation, but it's like any time someone who is organizes for peace and or even like the classes. Uh, they they get taken out real quick. <laughs> it's like they don't. The, our government doesn't waste any time. Well, you know uh, that's true to a certain extent. Certain people have. I mean, he's one example. Fred is another. Uh, um, that uh, that were dangerous to the bourgeois state, so to speak, and and therefore, uh, you know were in in some large sense were eliminated because of that reason. I mean, when you get down to particulars, then there's a lot of other things that enter into it as to who gets attacked and and uh, by whom and for what immediate you know active reasons. And when you took the Fred Hampton case, uh, and that was was that was a lawsuit against the you were suing the FBI for the murder of Fred Hampton is that what that was exactly no we sued the cops we didn't find out about the FBI involvement for three or four years after the murder um, and then you know by kind of a fluke um, not that they weren't suspected and and certainly not that they were that the the panthers in particular didn't believe that they were behind a lot of the repression that the party suffered <clears throat> but the cops locally in in most places you know had sufficient animosity themselves and not need much prompting by the FBI the FBI did work with local police forces in many locations to, to uh, engineer the the repression of the party, for sure. Yeah, I forget. There was, uh, I'm looking for it in my notes, there's a word you use. Oh, f- shit, I can't, <laughs> I can't find it. But there was a word that the FBI used, and it, it was like, it was almost like, 
saying like let's kill people <laughs> it was I mean, uh, to neutralize to neutralize them. yes yeah that, that well that was a famous line in Hoover's uh originating i i think it was not the first but the second uh general memorandum out to all the officers to in, initiate and push the the COINTELPRO uh, uh against um, the black movement generally, um, and the Panthers in particular, uh, he said, you know, we want a, we want hard-hitting proposals for how to uh, expose, disrupt, misdirect, and you know, and discredit, and otherwise neutralize or otherwise neutralize the militant black nationalist movement. And I think that's a pretty close to the the right words, the exact quote. Um, uh, and that was indeed their conscious intention, you know. And that was the the, the all the officers of, and all the uh, groups of agents and echelons were mobilized to accomplish that. And, you know, when you read through some of those old files about how that stuff developed, it's it's pretty hair-raising, even in the context that we had, that has developed now, today, since 9-11 and since all this new level of craziness. Yeah, I mean, in some respects, it seems like, I don't know if Cointelpro ever fully went away, or, I mean, they definitely, the FBI, I believe, claimed it did, but then there are, like... There are a lot of tactics that they seem to be using these days that are very similar. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the grant there was these environmentalists and animal rights uh, kids up in Seattle who were pulled into grand juries, uh, and they're, the they were being uh, questioned about crimes that they had nothing to do with, weren't even in Seattle when it happened, and it's very and like the FBI raided their homes. They had a warrant two days or that was written before the crime happened. So it was just they're targeting these kids. I think they could, so they can intimidate them into getting maybe names that would lead to something. And it's, it's like, as you know, as you can't have a lawyer, you have no civil rights in a grand jury. So it's like this, they're, they're being forced to testify or if they, if they plead the fifth, they go, to jail for, um, uh, I can't think of the word. <laughs> contempt. 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 Court, yeah. 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 And it's, uh, and it's just like, they're intimidating 20 or 19, 20 year old kids and it's, and, and threatening them with life in prison. And it's just, it's like, what, why do they have to play so goddamn dirty? <laughs> Well, it's a good question, you know, and the answer, I think, generally speaking, is because there's nobody stopping them, you know, and so they get carried away with themselves and they they tell each other what a, a evil thing this is and how it has to be stamped out. I mean, and some of them are certainly much more cynical than that. Um, and they're just doing, you know, having fun or pursuing their careers because they get... Uh, 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 you know, they get good high marks for doing that, the political stuff, I think. Um, they, they, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It's like the NSA, because they can do this stuff, they do do it, you know, and because no one stops them, they keep doing it. Yeah. And, and so if somebody is like if if but but there's also a degree to which uh, they they get given uh, excuses to do it or or you know so that if there is uh, sabotage vandalism uh, then they've got you know uh, uh, a fully you know quote unquote legitimate interest in trying to solve the crime. Then they can go after people, and and uh, they can the device of the grand jury's been being used you know for decades, and and it has certainly been used unjustly and oppressively. Um, 
you know, but but uh, there's a thread of of uh, rationale for it in, in most situations. I mean, the one where these people were uh, the raids a couple of years ago. I think probably three or four years ago. Now there was in, in Minneapolis and Chicago. Uh, and it turned out that was a total dry hole for them, and they were threatening those people with going to take them to the grand jury, but they never did, and and because they really apparently they had nothing whatsoever going on that that they could use to uh, uh, sensationalize it. I mean, it, it may also be, and I I wouldn't want to you know stint the possibility that you would give credit where credit is due that somebody or some people in 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 those involved in those operations, uh, U.S. attorneys, whoever, had, had some principles and wouldn't you know there was some stuff they just didn't want to do because it was too nasty and too perverted. Would you but, say, say that this our system in general is like? Because you said something very interesting. You said there was a few who had principles, and it's like, is it pretty much just a bunch of career hungry uh, people in the FBI and the and, and? It's hard to say. You know, I mean, you can't read their minds. I think there's some. There's always some true believers, and there's always some you know sickos. Um, and and, uh, and 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 people who are just cynical and and totally unprincipled, and uh, or they're trying to get ahead, or they're trying to, you know, who knows what they're trying to do or how they're motivated. A lot of it, I think, is just because they're doing what everybody else is doing that they work with, and they're getting some reason from above uh, to, that they should pursue these kind of things. I mean, those, those memos from Hoover were pretty damn explicit, you know, and they were pretty and, – and in those years, the FBI was really a weird place, you know, because because the – between the type of people they would recruit and then the type of ethos that was in the bureau that they would would uh, uh, inculcate um, I mean there were there were people there were but they, 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 it was all pretty weird but at the same time there were guys who were cynical guys there was this guy uh, the, the one agent who was kind of a uh, told all um, as an ex-agent, Wes Swearingen, he said, you know, in the 50s when they used to do those uh, break-ins at the Communist Party headquarters and, and uh, take pictures of their lists and, you know, go through their stuff and all that, he he said it was all just cuckoo. It wasn't going anywhere. It was just something to do, you know. It was just like then they could write in a monthly report. They did this, they did that. Mostly they, you know, go play pinochle, you know. I mean, it was, it, it was it, it, so. So there's all these different levels and and elements that come into play, you know, inside uh, uh, an agency like the FBI, and that there's there's a lot of inertia involved in. Uh, the continuation of those kind of activities at the same time there's a very deep seated uh, impulse uh, and and motive of repression and and supposed protection of the society from the ideas and activism of people who want change yeah and so you said that there's you know they they d- continue to do these things because nobody's stopping them does it seem like because it's and maybe this is just because you can look back at the history and we can't see it as much right now but it seemed like there was more lawyers and standing up against these uh sort of forces you know like yourself and uh some of the gentlemen you've worked with in the past it's like does it it doesn't these things don't even get much press ladies Yes, and I'm ladies. sorry. What? Oh, it. Uh, Men and women. Yes, dude. I didn't you know. <laughs> I didn't mean no, to be a sexist there. That no, was total, total no, accident. No problem. But it seems like there is 
like some of these cases don't even get like press in the mainstream. Uh, it's very alarming, and so it seems like that there can't be people to stand up and and fight against uh, this sort of oppression and that from the FBI. Well, I don't know that, you know, I think there's been a lot of resistance, and I think it's been significant. I think uh, one place that it, 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 it recently was definitely in play was in those the raid in Minneapolis and Chicago. They made it clear that they were going to fight all that and that people weren't going to testify and they were going to give them as much of a problem as they could. And that certainly was an element in the decision to back off. You know, there was in, in Judy's case, the the um, the resistance that immediately sprang up. Uh, I mean, on that very day of the bombing, uh, was definitely a factor in how the thing played out and uh, uh, how the. I mean, the effort to frame them and to taint them as, as terrorists really fell apart. Not that it wasn't didn't have its own level of success in the first, absolutely in the first day, and you know, I mean, they got they did get a big headline on the front page of the New York Times with a great big picture above the fold. Uh, saying, you know, uh, the environmentalists are terrorists. And when they were, when we got the verdict against them, saying that it was all a fraud, uh, there, the Times had a story on page 13, you know. I mean, and and as Judy said in her, in the, her testimony, the, in the East, there's plenty of people who still think she's a, you know, she's that uh, terrorist who blew herself up with her own bomb. So it's a double thing. I mean, the, the, it's certainly you wouldn't, you better not go around the National Lawyers Guild and tell them nobody's standing up for people. There's a lot of people that do, uh, um, you know, plenty of work to respond to these kind of situations. And and um, the fact that it's whited out of the the out of big media um, only shows you know shows you more about big media than it does about what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I did. I read an article recently how they're and I just think it's absurd how that they're very much altering what the word terrorist means because there's. Because I think, I mean, I, some of these environmentalists, perhaps they commit vandalism, and I don't condone that at all, but I wouldn't say it's up there with breaking windows isn't up there with Al-Qaeda. And there was there was an article I read that where they're talking about making tree sitting under the, under like, that would be an environmental terrorist act. And it's like, that's... A, a form of of protest in, in Adon- well that, yes without a doubt i mean and and they uh, i mean it's just it, it, it uh, i mean it's an, 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 <clears throat> i'm sorry sorry it's an important point the fbi the law enforcement the anti terrorist forces in the you know homeland security and these fusion centers and joint task forces and all that stuff is a huge industry. So they need enemies. They need culprits to go after. They need a threat, a menace that they can build up their own importance by trumpeting the 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 danger. Um, and that was always true, uh, uh, you know, in the in the Red Scare days. And in the McCarthy days, and and uh, in the the in the days of the Panthers, and now, and, and certainly they have the those forces of uh, you know the forces of zero tolerance or the forces of the status quo, uh, the police state forces is what they really are about. Is uh, are going to push that, you know, at all times, and they have seized on 
the concept of terrorism as a way of branding it. I mean, they in up in Canada, those people that are protesting the pipeline, if if, if you're sitting in, you're a terrorist, and that, and it's just like that was the way it was in South Africa. The the whatever movements there were against apartheid were branded by the apartheid forces as terrorists, you know. So it's a question of rhetoric and and uh, and propaganda, and of conditioning of the public discourse and the public mind. It's, and and it's it's terribly. Uh, uh, perverse and it's a great danger to the to you know truth and justice but uh it's absolutely inevitable that they're going to use that kind of stuff that that those forces arise that they concentrate themselves that they're they I mean there's personalities right that are drawn to authoritarianism and and that play into the development of a police state. There, there's economic interests that are also aligned that way, and they're obviously going to do whatever they think of to do. And it's certainly it's elementary for them that they've got to be able to broadcast the notion of a threat and put a name on it. And it used to be communists, and now it's terrorists. And it's it like he's it's we talk about these things from from the sixties and the seventies and now, and have you seen? Um, it's it could do, have you seen things change? Has it gotten better, or does it just sort of seem like it just keeps? Uh, it just sort I, of, I I don't see what you could say has gotten better. I mean the the police state has gotten. Uh, more pervasive and stronger and 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 smarter you know i mean the 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 stuff that was done in COINTELPRO, a lot of it was just loony and and a, a lot of the things that they you know involved themselves with trying to uh foment were were really counterproductive in certain ways. I, I think they're they're more sophisticated now. They got a lot of experience to draw on, um, and it's more widespread. And certainly, uh, the the 9/11 stuff just took it up by order, orders of magnitude. And, and and you know, there's there's such a level of of uh, kind of generalized fear in the population since then compared to before that uh, there's almost no comparison. So in that sense, I'd have to say things have certainly gotten worse. I mean, at the same time, there may be more consciousness of the need to resist it. You know, I mean, it's this stuff that's happened around the Snowden stuff uh, where you actually had a, a vote in the House of Representatives that was very close to try to stop all that those operations or a huge put a huge uh, hold on on all that craziness that the NSA is involved in. Um, you know, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have thought that would happen. I wouldn't have thought that would happen that there'd be that many people that would be. Uh, that exercise about it, and to to, to result in a, in a in a, an action like that of a bill being introduced that quickly and that uh, uh, you know that getting that much support. Yeah, it's. What do you think people can do to to uh, just on a personal level to fight? Uh, or raise awareness because it just sometimes it just seems unwinnable. I mean, not it just seems so huge, and it just like I mean, like if you go protest, then you're a terrorist. It's like they're just squashing dissent. It seems on on higher levels. Yes. Well, I mean, obviously, what people have to do is get together. That you have to get involved with what with the resistance. 
uh, is, is about the only thing I can imagine anyone can do. I mean, people can get involved in different ways. You know, you can sign petitions, you can sit in the road, you can, uh, you know, do other stuff. That that I I mean, I certainly know what you mean. The, the the sense that they're uh, that they're they're oh that the I'll call it again the police state by the name call it by its right proper name the is is has become overwhelmingly powerful and pervasive and and uh, irresistible but actually that's not true. And uh, and everything from occupied to that bill in the house uh, shows you there's a counterforce of some kind, and 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 we know certainly from the history of all this time uh, that mostly the population is on the sidelines. A lot of them are tuned out. A lot of them are just watching, but. You know, the more the police state obtrudes on the everyday life of people in the, you know, of the population, the more people have to choose, you know, if they're going to stand up to it or, or or not, you know. And, and But if they want to do something, obviously it's clear they got to join what's going on already, you know, because that's the only hope. Yeah, it. Uh, that's. <laughs> Sorry, I was inspired by what you said, and you made me have have a loss of words. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's true because it's like it's it's hard to sometimes when you research these or when I research these things or I read certain articles, it's it's sometimes it just seems so overwhelming. You get it's hard not to get a sense of like hopelessness. Uh, I don't want to be that way, and you you know you one fights to not be that, but it's. It's, and well, I think one thing it's important to understand is that they want you to feel that way, and a whole lot of the effort that is made and a whole lot of the kind of fellow traveling that happens uh, with, you know, in the press, for example, I mean, for the main example, uh, um, is to project that sense that not only that it's, uh, it's it's hopeless to resist, but that it's wrong, you know, and that this is the way things need to be, and this is normal and and uh, right, uh, you know, and that terrorism is a monstrous threat to our society and civilization, and it has to be fought, and da, 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 and uh, that that. That, that you know things are so basically dangerous. I don't know, based on the nature of the species, I suppose that there has to be all this control that uh, so many people are interested in exerting. But um, that's just something that the people in the resistance have to understand is part of what they're facing, part of what they have to deal. They have to find ways, invent ways, imagine ways to counteract that. And and, and that that's a lot what they're organizing is about, you know, in terms of, of uh, as far as trying to get wider support and, and more levels of the of of consciousness in the population and more people who are willing you know to lend some uh, effort to uh, to the resistance and do you believe i mean it's there's uh, there was a couple of moments in in the documentary that you mentioned uh you referred to some judges as crackpot judges and uh, i mean i would assume that through all this our corrupt system or elements that are corrupt not the may perhaps the entire system but you believe that justice can be served justice can well, i'm sorry what was you what did you say that, oh, that, that, like just, that, that justice ju- that justice prevails uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, i mean certainly sometimes in, 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 there's there's outcomes that uh, uh, you think are right and righteous, um, and then not everything 
uh, boils down to a court case, you know, uh, fortunately. The, the, and, and a lot of times when it does, or it, then, you know, there's it's such a mixed outcome, not least because of the passage of time. I mean, you know, we, we had a cert, we got a certain level of, 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 I don't know, justice vindication, um, in Judy's case, in, in the Hampton case. Uh, but, you know, if you balance it, you have a kind of a mixed call as to whether uh, justice prevailed. I mean, it's it's not, especially to the extent you you talk about, you talk in terms that go beyond any specific situation where there is a, you know, kind of concrete outcome as in a court case. Um, it's it's never ending, so you can't say that any that justice prevailed or didn't prevail. You know, justice forged ahead, justice was pushed back, justice uh, was frustrated, justice uh, snuck through and won when it was <laughs> unlikely as it seemed to be in the in the circumstances. I mean. We, we we would have never predicted that that uh, we got the kind of result we got in Judy's case. Uh, I think it was beyond, uh, you know. Uh, I I mean I if I I've thought about this a good deal off and on that how little I was looking ahead to an outcome anyway. You know, it was more like trying to get the thing out there and see. But we had a, we had an amazing uh, group of people and the jury, uh, and and a couple of them in particular. One in particular who led the 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 uh, the, the struggle for our side in the deliberations, um, and so that was a very singular. Circumstance. I mean, we and Fred Hampton, the civil case accusing the cops, and later the FBI. We had a trial that went on for 18 months, and and like you know, the record was like 37,000 pages long, I think, and and the, the jury hung. And and in the in the the big trial about the uh, the civil trial about the uh, um, massacre and torture at the Attica prison, the jury hung, um, and and uh, or almost completely hung. I mean, they did return one verdict against one guy, uh, one assistant warden, but. Basically, you know that there was a, a standoff involved in it, and um, and and that's something that often happens in cases. There's a there's a the, the jury gets polarized, and uh, you know. So the, the notion of what or the issue, the question that you're asking yourself is. If, did justice prevail? Can justice prevail? Will justice prevail? Uh, you know, it's like lead you around in circles a lot of the time. <laughs> Didn't it? Wasn't there with the Attica? Uh, wasn't the, the you you appealed the case and then wasn't it uh, like twenty something years later there was some sort of victory? Or am I totally nuts on that? No, it was longer than that. It was. It was. It was 20 years after the event that we even went to trial, and we got a partial verdict in the first trial, and then we got two more verdicts of uh, damages verdicts of uh, one for the guy who was, you know, mainly singled out by the police afterwards and tortured. And another for a guy who was selected because the same thing happened to him that happened to everybody, 
and we had those three verdicts, and um, and then there was an appeal, and the court of appeals knocked them out. And I mean, that was that was a case where justice definitely did not prevail. It was perverted in the worst, most obvious, and most cynical way by three judges in New York City who just said, "Screw you! We're not letting those prisoners get all that money." And um, that, you know, I mean, it's hard to go back to your question. It's hard to think of justice prevailing a lot or in a strong or widespread way until, you know, the whole uh, terms on which it gets fought out are changed pretty radically. You know, the, the, was there justice in Bush v. Gore? Was there justice in the in the invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan? I mean, those are lunatic war crimes, you know, and, and how they, they'll never be redressed. Uh, because the, the the alignment of powers is such that uh, it can't be done. That doesn't mean you don't know they were wrong, and, and a whole lot of people don't understand that that uh, those were terrible crimes. Um, but what are you going to do about it? You know, it's it's the future that counts. It's like, usually, what do you do about it? Is try to prevent it from happening again, but you see what that would take. Right. Well, I want to thank you very much, Mr. Cunningham, for your time. It was, uh, I, I was very honored to get to talk with you, and it, it meant a great deal to me. And I, I really respect the the work that you've done over the years. It's, it's really incredible. Well, you're very kind to say so, and I appreciate it no end, uh, to tell you the you know, honest. But uh, And I hope you get a decent uh, program out of it. Oh, it was great. <laughs> and, it was really great. You know, if you need to follow up, be free to feel free to call. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends about it, tweet about it share it um go and look at my uh page there and look at some of the past episodes you know like uh black panther uh pete o'neill wayne kramer uh david yao will potter uh dan cabal these are all really great uh people i've talked to in the past and and uh go listen to those or check out some of the other shows at feralaudio.com if you can donate some money if you can, I don't like asking for money. I have Irish Catholic working class guilt, but uh, we really struggle to put these shows out. We sacrifice a lot. And um, anyway, uh, if you can't donate some money, go through the Amazon link and uh, buy some stuff. You could buy, you know, you could buy a bunch of uh, socks. Go buy a bunch of socks. You always need socks. Is something I've learned, and then you could. I get a kick of that money if you buy those socks through Amazon. Uh, so thank you very much for listening to my show. I'm honored and that people listen to it. So thank you very much. Power to the people.
Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.